0: Now, as a photographer, a videographer, a competitive marksman, or a firearms enthusiast in general, someone who likes shooting, losing my eyesight is perhaps one of my greatest fears. Yet my friend William was born blind. But when many people in the firearms industry have questions towards the development of small arms, especially with the Eastern Bloc weapons, they turn to him. William, aka Mishiko, who runs a small arms historical channel on YouTube, and yet was born blind and has technically never seen a firearm. But if you were to give him an AKS 74U, he'd be able to tell you that the early versions had vents on the handguard, and most certainly the correct stock had the steel rolled inwards an indication that this stock was made in the Tula manufacturing plant. And he would be able to field strip the rifle and tell you about the intricacies of the internal development of the AKS-74U. That is interesting to me, but perhaps it was a surface level interest. When compared to the conversation that I had with William where he talks about how it was being a blind man who was interested in firearms growing up in Arkansas and how through his humble upbringing, he was able to become one of the, in my opinion, expert voices on Eastern block weaponry in the United States, all without having ever actually physically seen a weapon before. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, before we get any farther, a message from our sponsor, Slate Black Industries. If you like good looks and you like good kit and you need m accessories, consider SlateBlackIndustries.com, the maker of m grips and accessories. That's SlateBlackIndustries.com.
1: okay. How do I explain? I was born literally 100% blind completely. Um, My left eye is basically a jelly baby. There's just nothing there. I mean, it's, it's, it exists, but it has very little form and structure. And my right eye after what felt like a bajillion surgeries in reality was well over 50 they restored some light perception and all that we're talking when I was very young, you know, under, under 10 and a lot of the surgeries, even under one or two, but Mm -hmm. they restored some light perception by going in, cutting some holes, doing some things, draining pressure, but there's also issues with optic nerves. So there's only limitations there. So when I was very young, we're talking, I have one memory in my head and I could not have been older than three or four. I saw stars. Ooh, Uh, but that quickly faded because what happens, I have glaucoma, it degenerates. So when Mm. I was really young, I could see kind of bold things, you know, like stars, you get black with, with white, but I haven't, I mean, again, by the, even the age of school, I couldn't see those anymore. And basically it, it, it slowly, but what I, small amount I had slowly, but surely went away and uh, I was never able to do things like see faces at all so Mm -hmm. i never could have seen when i was also quite young say under 10 i could see large print in books but even then it needed to be quite large font and high contrast as they would call it Mm -hmm. so basically for any of my adult life i have light perception in one eye you know telling like i can still tell if it's day or night that's literally it. It's either kind of. Uh, you know, hazy, white, or just not. And because of it, again, it being glaucoma, I prefer the dark uh, light is uh, basically not comfortable to me. So not uh, just, so, so the sunglasses aren't just for that. They're also because uh, light hurts.
0: <laughs> yeah, so so that's that's something I think a lot of people don't understand because um, I remember first watching videos that you've made. I was wondering why this guy was wearing sunglasses in all of his videos. Was he trying to be mysterious or not? And then I I looked back at myself when I realized that you couldn't see and I thought, Oh, wow. Well, I'm just a regular asshole for assuming that. But I think I think a lot of us. Yeah,
1: I, I don't think it makes you an asshole because it's a very uncommon thing. First off, there aren't very many blind people in society, especially today, because of modern medicine. In fact, the number of people that are just like 100% blind, completely, completely, is very low. Hmm. Most people have something, especially if it's a congenital thing. Now, if you lost hmm. your eyes in an accident, a whole different story. Like I, I knew a gentleman who was in the Air Force. They got blinded because of jet fuel. Yeah. Right, but, but that's
0: that's different though because you you essentially I mean outside of the few memories that you have of seeing you essentially have never seen a firearm before.
1: No, because and, they weren't giving guns to three year olds
0: even in Arkansas. But but however however I would I would surmise to say and I would summarize in saying you are actually one of the more knowledgeable uh, people who publish on gun medium out there about the historical development of firearms, and yet you have never seen a firearm before, Mm -hmm. and you're able to sell firearms and sell um, collectible firearms with such a great detail in the description and the historical use of of some of the firearms that are sold through your store. And yet you have not physically seen a firearm before. I think that's something uh, that people don't yeah. wrap their heads around.
1: I, I want to circle back around to talking when you cl- called yourself an asshole, which I don't agree with because people would not expect that. And it's not just in farms, it's everyday life. People don't expect to run into someone who's deaf or whatever. Where the asshole comes in is when they don't keep an open mind. You know, when, when either when they don't they don't believe you, or they don't listen or they don't care. And I actually have an example just from last night a guy messaged me on gunbroker about a bnt i had up and it was one of the apcs you know you they can find them with or without brace and he said does this come with the brace and the auction doesn't mention braces at all and as far as i knew the pictures i uploaded did not show the gun with a brace and i said oh did a brace sneak into the pictures question mark and he wrote back saying you don't have to be a wise ass about it. I'll buy from someone else. And I wrote him back saying, no, 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 I wasn't being a wise ass. This is my situation. I was afraid. Maybe I uploaded the wrong pictures. And if he just come back and said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know we're good, but he doubled down and went from there. And that's, that's when someone's an asshole when they don't keep an open mind and that, that goes for a lot of things in life
0: i'm i'm kind of curious how uh someone gets to that point because i i in in a certain sense i think that that has a lot to say about our society these days you know the lack of empathy or the lack of patience to really figure out what's going on and I'm, i'm wondering if any of that has to do with the electronic medium of we of how we communicate now i mean of course on one side that's how you make a living um the presence of the internet is how you're oh, yeah. able to sell stuff. I love that the same
1: the internet's an awesome. meaning and going back to your point about me knowing history of firearms, you know, I, I joke with people, but it's 100% true. Firearms history books aren't in Braille. And even hmm. if they were so much of what's in a traditional firearms history book, it's photo related, there are good write ups and good articles. But a lot of times, the knowledge is from pictures. Hmm. So Without the internet, I would not have access. In fact, it was, um, funny enough, that this came up in an email just today. Uh, Max over in Russia, the the Modern Firearms RU website. I guess her. it's still I guess it's still up, but that when I found it in the late '90s was one of my first really solid resources for Kalashnikov information, for example, and 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 just kind of world guns in general. Because growing up, you knew about a, the American guns here. But I wanted to know about what was else in the world. And right. as to my knowledge of guns, it's just because I'm a teacher and I, I've always had that kind of brain that loves digging for grubs of information, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So let's 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 dive into that a little bit more. Uh, now, for a lot of people who have not seen your videos, they are very they have a lot of them that are historically uh, driven, i.e. they're one of my favorite videos that you've done is a, a, a long video where you take <laughs> the Japanese Type 99 Arasaka from early war all the way down to what we call last ditch. Like when World War Two was ending and Japan was basically throwing whatever resources they had into the factory and having them poop out some sort of a Type 99 short rifle. And yeah, I I I I people kind of make fun of those for how they look. What's funny is though, if you look at
1: pictures and look read accounts of how those factories themselves looked, it's amazing they turned out rifles
0: at all. Right. So so that to me, those are some of the most interesting videos that you make. Because um at first you have the historical aspect of it, which you do bring forward a lot of extremely detailed information and history accounts to it. But also, it's when I'm watching you presenting those videos and your mind is working, I see you using your tactile senses to find certain uh, design attributes of a rifle. Well, it's not like I can use my eyes. Yeah, well, so what I was trying to get at is Without your sight, your tactile the 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 world of firearms turns into a very tactile um, experience for you. Something that I I would dare say that a lot of us who are who can see probably don't experience at the depth that you do. And and it's interesting for me to think that that tactile experience of you feeling some of the uh, some of the uh, um, some of the finishes on the rifles, because I'm thinking from early war, the Japanese rifles were very well polished. The safety having all the knurling uh, carved uh, carved into the back. Um, some of the details, the way the wood was finished, the way the sights were marked, uh, all of that was done with great detail. I mean, it's a Japanese, it's the Imperial Japanese Army that we're talking about. Progressing that towards the end of the war and seeing some of the examples that you were showing, very rough finishes on the metal, the wood, mm-hmm. uh, very crudely carved, almost uh, carved together. Uh, some well, I, of the and, and I want to say this and, and,
1: and cycling back to that, but you were saying about how the firearms world is tactile for me. That's Mm -hmm. not really correct. My world is tactile. So the way I interact with firearms is no different than the way I interact with my cats or my food or anyone. It it doesn't stand out to me as uniquely tactile because my whole world is that. Also auditory, Mm. but um, yeah. But it's, it's to the Japanese, yeah, that is one reason that I do find Rough production guns, even, you know, say a uh, what I jokingly call, and I think a lot of people do, oh shit, German guns out of Russia, you know, the Uh 1942 and early 43 guns. uh, Yeah, because there's chatter marks and and everyone's unique. When you get to the really nicely finished and polished guns, they're very same, same. And that's good. That uniformity is what you want. But sometimes it is nice to go, well. you could tell they really goofed on this one. That normally would have been thrown out, but because they needed guns so badly, it was kept in.
0: Yeah, so so that's, that's a part of experiencing firearms that I think many firearms owners really uh, uh, don't think much about. I mean, partially, I think that is a very specifically, let's say, historical firearm collector. Uh, something that we would look at because otherwise if you get like a new production FN scar and they have that amount of chatter on it, that is downright a reject rifle that should. Oh, absolutely. Because,
1: because there's too. no reason, there's no excuse. But the Japanese guns, there's a, a reason, there's a story. And that's right. what's neat. It, it, the story behind a, an FN with chatter marks is someone got lazy. That That's not <laughs> interesting.
0: So what's your background with history? Because I, I, I know that you have some type of a background with history, which is why you end up being able to tell the stories of the design lineage so well. Hmm. Have you always been interested in history? Yeah. I mean, I have degrees in it. I've got a couple of
1: bachelor's and a master's That, that that's neither here nor there. What really got me interested. I've always liked history. Um, could be anything from Indiana Jones as a kid to, I had a really good history teacher in high school that brought it to life. And, and was, and he actually taught us to write essays instead of those silly, like multiple choice bubble sheet things that are oh so common today. And that, that taught me to think, and also structure. And it, yeah. Just, you know, funnily enough, Anyone who follows my my personal channel knows I also like science fiction. I, the history I like, the future, or at least speculative future I like, it's just the present that I'm not always so sure about. Yeah. But you think about history, it's a great story. I mean, history, and that, that's what I've noticed about good history books and good history professors. They make it into a story, which it should be, because it is a story about people's lives and they lived they loved they lost things they their lives are worth remembering and 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 honoring in a lot of cases and just examining because i don't know it's interesting to me i just enjoy it
0: (laughs) how did you get into guns and shooting well
1: kind of a multi-step process i suppose Growing up in Arkansas, and I this is another common joke I say, but it is absolutely true. Just because I couldn't see it doesn't mean people weren't going to take me shooting. Uh, mm-hmm. Parents, grandparents, friends, whatever. So I grew up shooting. It was pretty casual. I thought it was neat and interesting, but I knew I couldn't hunt. And were, I was born in the Ozark Mountains. Most guns were hunting guns. And people, you know, people think back to the 80s and they think, oh, how great it must have been, pre-ban all the FALs and AUGs and all this stuff. Maybe in some areas, but just because the stuff was technically available doesn't mean it was available, if you know what I mean. It was 870s and various automatic Remington rifles that were the common And as far as handguns. Some old Lugers, 1911s. I remember the first time I put my hands on a Glock and I think it was 87, 88. That was interesting so i got into guns a little bit as a kid not super familiar but you know enough to get myself into trouble a little bit of plinking with uh, friends in the 90s but not really anything i fell into it of all things in college you know that 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 uh, supposed bastion of, of liberalism i actually met college professors that like guns namely i had one that really liked the fal hmm. and that got me into the fal soon i got into the kalashnikov because they were starting to kind of become available. People have to remember, but before the mid-late 90s, the the only AKs in America that you could really find were the Chinese, which are neat, but after you get a couple, they kind of become a one-trick pony. You want something different. The the Steyr-Maudis, the the Kastner-FEGs, they came in in such few numbers. We didn't see them back then. But then you start seeing Bulgarian and romanian guns and then russian guns the segas come in that I was like hey this is neat so i got into that and it so it really was kind of mid way through college and whatnot that i really kind of got into guns and then i just decided i'm gonna buy a couple hmm. and uh went from there first couple i got a Mosin, got a makarov because they were very cheap back then
0: it sounds like a lot of your influence especially in your early time in was a very Eastern block, um, it was a very Eastern block influence collection.
1: Because that, that was what was being imported. That's what was affordable on a college student's budget. Uh, did I see. want more American stuff? Sure. But I could afford the Eastern European stuff. And it did interest me. I I'll tell a quick anecdote about, uh, when, when I was a younger person, I, I went to church a lot and, and was very active in, in youth. And one of the youth pastors, we hadn't seen each other in probably 10 years at that point, and he bumped into me at the food court at the university. And, oh, what are you doing? We sit down, hey, let's have lunch together and catch up. And he said, what are you doing? I said, like, oh, I'm finishing up this, and next term I'm going I'm going to go over and teach in Russia. And he just looked at me and goes, Yeah, that sounds about right. So even though maybe I didn't know it, I kind of maybe already had that interest going all the way back to teenage, you know, 12, 13 years old, because I always did kind of find them interesting because they were mysterious, you know, behind the iron curtain. And I was always into space. Mm -hmm. In fact, my parents took me to NASA when I was young and got me a tour. But I always thought, well, what what are the Soviets doing? You know, when we know about the American space program, So I think that was kind of my gateway into getting interested in Russia was the Russian space program of all things.
0: Oh, that's right. Because if people watch your personal channel, you also do a lot of, um, uh, like spacecrafts, uh, and, uh, vehicle, uh, uh, like to scale vehicle models. Uh, and this is something that I didn't think of before I met you is that these little models are basically, it's sort of like if we were to read a book and look at pictures of what a uh, a Sherman looks like. That's like your reference to what a Sherman looks like, because you have this model that you could tactilely figure out what uh, the vehicle looks like, right?
1: That is exactly the excuse I give to the wife every time I buy one. Uh huh. But it is absolutely true. I mean, I I can read everything in the world about a sherman but until i hold one in my hands i don't really know what a sherman looks like
0: Uh, so uh, have there been any um i want to circle back to the russia thing in a bit but have there been any things that whether it's firearms or vehicles or spacecraft or anything along those lines that you've read about and you thought that it was it looked a certain way but then you received it and you're like, wow, I was entirely off. Yes. The battle scar
1: Galactica. I had no clue what that thing looked like. I'm not even sure I had a really good notion of what it looked like. If I'm being honest, you know, I've probably had fanciful images in my head. That's the thing too. When you get the real image in your head, it kind of pushes out your memories of what you thought it was, you know, conceptually. So I don't know, but it, it wasn't that. And the last thing, I don't like it. It just, I think maybe I thought it had more, okay, I think in my head, I thought I had like flight pods that really stuck out, you know, way far, like kind of like a wing or something. And I thought it was maybe more shaped like an aircraft carrier. I don't I don't know. I really don't. But I, I was thinking I had more sticky-outy bits and was less – and probably I think, I think I thought it was smoother. I was surprised just how many – Bibbles and bobbles were sticking out, and how kind of squat and compact it was.
0: So, how about firearms? Were there any that you read about for a long time, and then when you when you actually got your hands on one, you were thinking, "Wow, this is not a, a, at all what I was thinking about."
1: Hmm. Good question. Certainly not ARs because I grew up with ARs and AKs. I mean, you know, all AKs look different for sure, but they have a basic form factor, and I grew up with those, so I probably never wondered. The Nambu pistol took me uh, kind of unawares. The Nambu is an an interesting, I like it, but I I don't think I could have imagined that uh, that look.
0: You know, to be honest, for someone who has seen it, the first time I saw it in an image, I was thinking, is this thing for real? Because it looks like an electric drill.
1: Yeah, especially with the uh, the late the later like large the Kiska trigger guard, it mm-hmm. I think it's that trigger guard that really just puts it over the edge into bizarre territory. But, but you know what's really funny is it's a pretty darn ergonomic gun for the nineteen thirties and forties. Amazingly good trigger it it usually probably it usually has the best the best military trigger of guns of that time, handguns of that time. You know, ex- excluding the very late war guns.
0: And I believe that the the Ruger uh, Mark series, the 22s, was based off of a baby Nambu, right? I,
1: I don't know which Nambu. I, I've read different accounts. Maybe a baby. I do know that they said that Bill Ruger had two bring back Nambus that he got off a of Marine, I believe it was. But mm-hmm. it is very clear that they were inspiring his designs. I'm not sure if it was the baby or the Type 14 or even the 94. But yeah, yeah. Nambu's aesthetic really inspired Ruger.
0: So let's hop back on when you say you went to Russia for a while. What were what you we doing in Russia? This is not an interrogation. This is not an interrogation. I am not like a government official no, um, anymore. You know,
1: I, the first time or two I went, it was basically a vacation. I, I didn't do the sightseeing thing. I, I just went over and kind of lived
0: for a Wait, couple well, of weeks. You didn't do sightseeing, huh? No, you don't say.
1: <laughs> I did go to a tank museum outside of Moscow over New Year. Oh,
0: I, I bet that was pretty cool for you to go to a tank museum.
1: Yeah. And uh, it's like yeah, they were closed, but, you know, especially back then, you, you could uh, happy you could bribe them with a couple of bottles of vodka, which they would then open and then share with you. And then everyone's having a good time. That was during the <laughs> times of change. That was during right when the Iraq war started off and back then. I, I I felt that Americans were, at least I was very welcome. All I had to say is, you know, I'm, I'm not pro-war, which doesn't matter, yay or nay. You know you know how it is when you travel abroad. You don't want to make waves in someone else's country. It's like being disrespectful in someone else's house. So there was a bit of an anti-war sentiment towards America then. But if they didn't think you were a hawk, let's say, they were they were happy. There wasn't a general disdain for Americans, although some weren't so happy with Bush, if that makes sense. But yeah, the first couple of times I went over, and um, then I went over as an ESL teacher, essentially, English second language, that kind of thing, and uh, stayed. I was supposed to be there one year, maybe two. It got cut short due to politics outside of my control. Mm -hmm. That was 2008 when uh, the U.S. and Russia got into a little bit of a tiff over some American military assets in Poland and... In who knows, but Mm -hmm. they basically canceled the visas of not just teachers, but some doctors and other professionals working in Russia. So through really no fault of my own, at least that's what we're telling people externally, I had to leave earlier than planned, unfortunately.
0: So did your time in Russia shape your views on Soviet bloc guns at all?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, I didn't have a lot of time to spend with guns there because, one, they're not as easily accessible here. But, yeah, when I had time, I would go to a gun shop and I still have some, some old pictures. But, um, you know, they they do also have shooting galleries there. Basically, what we think of as indoor ranges. But one kind of neat thing is because gun ownership isn't as common, you don't go over there and rent a semi-automatic wasser. If you're going to rent a gun, it's just a it's a Kalashnikov. That's actually where I first messed with like an AK-107. You know the balancing uh, mm-hmm. system. How was that? Neat, I thought. That, that's kind of what got me wanting like the the say what, what, what we know today is the SGL-3194. You know the the modern AK-74M, because you got to remember, for years those century series guns from Izhmash Kalashnikov concern they weren't available here. So to actually put hands on the real McCoy was pretty cool. Ironically, the SGL series was released over here while I was still over there. So it was a little funny.
0: Yeah, I I remember when the Saigas were um, were really hitting the market hard when they used to be, and I'm talking about the 06 to 08 type era, I think um, when they were, they were like, $200 Two hundred and some dollars from uh, Academy back then.
1: The first time I saw a Sega Seven Six Two Thirty Nine in a gun shop, and this is the old Hunter one, you know, the completely sportriderized right. one. It was one hundred and sixty nine dollars retail.
0: Was that that was in the early two thousands, right? Yeah, that,
1: that, that, that I am pretty sure, based on my memory, that was still before the end of the assault weapons ban. So that would have been you know pre two thousand four. Yeah, but yeah, so, uh...
0: it, it was clear to me though. Whenever I first held uh, the Saiga, I mean, obviously the stock has changed to the rifle stock, but the guts of it, the guts of it, felt like a very the the action itself was extremely smooth compared to any of the Wassers that were that were available out there, any of the Romanian AKs that were out there, and and it was. It was all Russian. It was all Russian-made, and the more oh, research yeah, I did, there wasn't much. There wasn't much information on it back then. No, no, it. No, well, the,
1: the AK reading. was not as popular yet, so the the level of interest for the AK in America was very low, especially mm-hmm. before the end of the assault weapons ban, because you couldn't have folding stocks, and there were limitations on magazines, and you know, bayonet lugs, removable muzzle devices aren't a huge huge deal but they do they're, they're nice little accents to a gun it, so once the once the band came off that helped and then a bunch of kits came in and then finally enough American companies got into making receivers and other parts and and you started to see support for the Sega like Tromex was one of the earlier companies I remember doing business with that really specialized in converting the Sega 12 and then this industry kind of grew up around it in that time period like you are saying 2006 2008 was really when the AK was just skyrocketing in popularity.
0: Uh, you're talking about the small parts and the differences in the development of the Kalashnikov. And obviously you've had quite a few in the past. How did you learn about any of the technical changes and I mean is it uh, do you do you read about it or do you learn through it by Tactilely feeling the difference between the different variants, um, or is it a combination of of all of those?
1: It's things? really a combo. When websites and, and people with actual knowledge became accessible, available, I would let's say talk about AK seventy four muzzle breaks. You know, there there have been several generations. I might and there's there's a couple of really good websites that go into them. So I would read. Okay, this is the early half moon. This is the, the later two piece. Okay, I, I, I would read that. I, then I would, I would go pull my guns or parts and hold them and go, oh, that's what they're talking about. So kind of knowing what to look for from someone else let me know what to look for in my own guns. Other times, I just discovered it by my own. And sometimes with a gun I had for years. You know, I didn't like, oh, I didn't know that was there or it did this way. You know, for example, when I first bought my SAR-1, I didn't realize which parts were cast until later when I kind of knew to look for casting lines and mold marks and all that. Mm. That's also why I like owning guns, doing videos on guns I've had for a while, because that's how you really get to know them very well.
0: Mm -hmm. So, uh, what got you into starting YouTube?
1: Nothing really. That was, that was honestly more, well, this is more J. It was kind of a, a a joint thing, but it really was the the Sig, five five one A
0: one.
1: You know, we had, we started off with Sig Sours, the, the American Sig Sour up in New Hampshire. They did yeah. the the Sig five five six. Right. People liked it enough, but it was you know the different variants, and well, the five five one A one came out, and that was originally an exclusive with CDNN, which I already had a good working relationship with, so. I kind of got involved with them on that. Got, you know, we're getting them in and realized no one had really done a video on it, at least an independent video. The only videos out there were obviously PR videos, either directly from SIG or T&E guns that were sent out. And even those were just a handful, you know, like a 30-second shooting clip. So we thought, well, let's do a truly independent, i.e. amateurist video shooting it, talking about what makes it different from a five, five, six, how it's similar to a real five, five, one, how it's different from a real five, five, one. So yeah, I guess if anything, it was because we saw a void that no one else was filling
0: on YouTube. We just thought we would do it ourselves. I realized this, this is something that I'm realizing right now, um, that, uh, some of your videos, you actually film yourself being unable to enjoy the video <laughs> The, the the true video medium. But at the same time, as you have your rifles laid out, I'm guessing you're holding a camera and then pointing it sort of where you think it is that you're talking yeah, about?
1: Because um, th- that, okay, originally, if you look back at our older videos, the ones recorded with a the potato, there is a camera person. It wasn't always Jay, but I was in front of the camera. I really didn't want to. And I was really nervous about trying to point a camera myself, but you know, the event happened and I was kind of forced to, and luckily I'd been kind of playing with that notion over on my personal channel. So I had a little bit of practice. So that's why, that's why if you, if you notice the videos that I'm recording myself really only ramp up after 2019 into 2020 Mm -hmm. and uh, you, you can guess why. Um, as far as yeah, tactile, it's just I've had I've used different cameras over time. I find a GoPro works well for me because it's pretty simple. But what I really like about a GoPro that a lot of nicer cameras don't do, audio cues. GoPros are really good at different beeps for different things happening. Whereas if you get a nice DSLR camera it doesn't either beep or it just has like one monotone beep when things happen and you don't know what that means. So I find that the feedback very nice on a GoPro.
0: It, that's interesting because the GoPro was set up to be basically isolated in this little pressurized case that that was the only way the GoPro could communicate to you because I, I have a hero too. Um, That was my first GoPro. Was basically <laughs> Gen two of the GoPro, and I got it when I was downrange. And we would strap it to all the vehicles that we had, strap it to ourselves, to film a whole bunch of things. And that was the only way you you were able to tell on what mode it was doing, either uh-huh. that or the uh, the blink. So of course you're not looking at the the LED flashing on. on and see, the,
1: Jay uh, didn't he didn't have that GoPro. He had a, a knockoff of it, but yeah, I know what you're saying. His didn't have the the screen either, so. He's like, hey, you should get one of these. But since it's important, maybe get the name brand. You know, because he could see if it was goofing up or whatever. I couldn't. So, Uh but yeah, he had, I I don't know what analog it would have been a copy of, but like you're saying, it was one of the early ones. But that was our first experience with a GoPro like camera. And the nice thing is, too, if you're at the range, they can take a a brass casing hit or something else. You know, when I go out Mm -hmm. with JRO and he's got his multi thousand dollar camera. He's rightfully always concerned about it getting dinged with brass or something. I would be too, but it's nice not to have that worry.
0: I have actually destroyed uh, lens filters with a jet and brass before myself, especially from Kalashnikovs. That is oh, especially yeah. from Kalashnikovs. I can't imagine why.
1: Yeah, Amer- Especially if it's a uh, 223 556 Kalashnikov and you're putting really good American ammo in it, because those things are kind of a gas to run Tula and Wolf, so mm. you put standard power 220 and they just launch that crap into orbit to space mm-hmm. station that go
0: your phone fo- yours the same way with your phones right like you you when you when you uh when you buy a phone you have to get those like nokia ied uh phones that you know that have the buttons on it
1: yeah i'm the i, I like the you know like the tough phones that i think they often call them like first responder phones Uh, the ones that firefighters, EMTs, sometimes police and military use. I like those. They're they're tough because I usually have my phone with me when I'm working. It gets dropped, whatever. And yeah, they have nice nice buttons and I like them. And they're usually designed to be a little more comfortable in the hand because iPhones are many things, but
0: ergonomic, they ain't. The other side to you not seeing is also you're hearing a lot. So whenever you're watching my videos, you can hear some of the some of the, the my past, uh, my past life <laughs> as, as I as I yeah. come back into America. Uh, but you also use some British words in your um Oh, your yeah, video. that yeah.
1: Because t- today you are getting more Americanized as you would because you're here. It's like when I lived in New York, I started to sound more up country and come back down mm-hmm. here and you start, but uh, yeah. Well, I'm talking,
0: you, I'm talking to you. I'm I, talking to you. So, so usually yeah. I, my mind <laughs> picks up on who I'm talking to and it, it tells me I want to, I want to relate to the other person and you're obviously American. I, I, I'm, so. I'm
1: that same way too. If I'm talking, if, if I've got a customer that has a very strong Southern accent, I, I will kind of do that because at the end of the day, I want people to feel comfortable. I'm not a, I'm not a confrontational person just for the sake of it. Now, if someone's doing something I don't care for, I, I would say something, but I'd rather have someone at ease. So uh, kind of adapting your speech to them. Yeah, is helpful.
0: But Misha, I have I have specifically heard you say words like aluminium.
1: Yeah, and I, I knew you were getting there, too, because and the reason is for one thing, I've had some British professors and I've traveled abroad and kind of the, the Queen's English is just a very common thing. Kings but also the speech software I started using in the 90s because I preferred its interface and found it to be more stable than the American version happened to be made in the UK and while today you can set it to sound as American as you like because you know 2022 back in 1998 it sounded very British <laughs> and if I if I typed things like aluminum sometimes didn't like that or tried to, you know, correct me on spelling
0: or just, you know, things like that. Carbine is the other word <laughs> that I've heard you say, which I learned guns from Americans, or at least when I was in Hong Kong, I was only reading it. And of course, I didn't say it in school with any of the um, uh, the British people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was interested, but I didn't. I don't know that carbine
1: them. is uniquely British. I've heard quite even growing up in the South, I've heard quite a few people say it it is tomato tomato. I I think Mm. that is a. Because obviously the word has French roots in and of itself, so you're kind of bastardizing it either way. (laughs) But I just think carbine sounds nicer,
0: too. So this so this is from the phonetic, uh, the software that basically reads for you, um, reads the text and translates it into audio.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, it definitely says carbine, not carbine. I remember. I, like... I, I can I can make it say carbine if I if I spelled it c a r b e e n or something. But mm-hmm. if I spell it normally, it's going to say carbine because phonetically that is probably the more. I can ask
0: my wife; she's a linguist, she'd know. But <laughs> it's difficult to get rid of everything that you grew up with. You know, having a software that basically reads everything to you, and that's how you read and perceive text. That is a 24 seven British lady that is right next to you every Absolutely. day, all it, it day. Just,
1: it, it it subconsciously drills into your head, <laughs> even if you don't yeah. want, even if you don't want it to or you or you fight against it. Or, or it's just that is the voice I hear most <laughs> in my life and, and have done so. For coming What uh, let's see. Yeah, to over twenty five, well, almost twenty five years now. So, uh-huh. and and I've had speech going back to the eighties, but the current one I've used, is the, at least the speech kind of font, I guess you would say, you know, the pack. Obviously, the software has been updated a hundred times over, but the basic style I've used since around ninety eight. Hmm.
0: So has it been the same voice that talks to you since then?
1: Pretty much, because even when you upgrade the speech, you can choose to keep your you know voice as it were and the thing is too blind people and this is almost universal rule never listen at a one-to-one speed
0: Mm. that is
1: way too tedious and pointless most depending on what work they're doing it's two three four times faster so the Mm. problem with the more natural sounding voices at one-to-one speed when you start speeding them up they get real choppy and clippy But a machine voice, that monotone, boring, droning voice speeds up much more fluidically and naturally. So that's why Mm. people like Stephen Hawking, for example, used his voice aside from just tradition and kind of trademarking. They do get easier to listen to a lot of the time once you kind of adjust your ears.
0: What kind of YouTube videos do you tend to find yourself gravitated towards porn? On, I'm sure, on three times speed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I made a joke through the other day when people are doing the whole thing. I was like, I can't tell if it's porn or someone using the bathroom. Sometimes they sound very similar. Either way, not terribly interesting to me. No, my, but my, my, uh, my watch list is pretty eclectic because of my interest. Uh-huh. Sometimes I'm into guns, you know, and that, that's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I am done with guns for the day and don't even want to hear the word rifle. So I'll delve into something as far removed from that as possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I've gone down some pretty interesting rabbit holes. Obviously anyone who knows my personal channel probably gets an idea of, of that. Um, I like modeling. I like some toys. I mm-hmm. like, um, you know, some fanfic stuff, not, not that kind of fanfic, get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> you know, I, um, you know, various comedies are fun. So I I sometimes engage in some podcasts with people not using the gun world, just other things. I'm trying to think obviously history videos, although by this point, I've watched most of the really good documentaries, but there are still some really good channels that do like historical foods and things like that that I find interesting.
0: Hmm. Can you like if you hear a gunfire, can you tell what type of firearm it is, what caliber it is? Are you able to tell differentiate any of that?
1: Not as well as I would like, probably a lot more in person, because there are fewer factors on a video recording, it's much harder because you have to take into account the recording medium. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually what I'll listen for isn't the actual bang itself, but more the action of the gun or how the user inserts or removes the mag, you know, they, they make different noises. Mm. Or so sometimes, you... if or sometimes if it's a gun I know or a friend knows, and they've got a certain, say, sling or muzzle break on it, either one can produce kind of an interesting. I look for little context clues.
0: Mm, that's also for anyone.
1: That's also for anyone who watches my videos. Why I always kind of call out the type of gun being fired. <laughs> I know uh-huh. it must get annoying for people, but that's an easy way I can know when I'm putting clips into the videos. Hey, what gun am I putting a clip of in?
0: Ah, uh, because at the beginning of your shooting, you always give a voice cue a voice cue. Like uh-huh. um And 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 see, for
1: a while I tried having friends sit down with me and say, Hey, what gun's this? And I I'd identify, but then they go, I don't know. You know, and I try to describe it, and they're like, look, they all look like AKs to me. So I gave up and I thought the the better way if I'm gonna do this accurately is just to say when I'm shooting what it is people don't seem to think that I've got like a network of people around me that are just here to help all the time. A lot of the time I'm here alone, or uh-huh. I'm here with good, really good people. They're just not gun people. My wife isn't a gun person or they're gun people, but they're not into Kalashnikovs or FALs. So they wouldn't really know.
0: So if you were to say, um, on the audio side, just a few interesting firearms that you've that you've listened to fire obviously with ear protection. I'm I'm presuming. Oh yeah, uh, I, uh,
1: One nice thing uh, years ago. He's he's passed on now, but <clears throat> an old gunsmith in my hometown took me and got me my first set of the uh, the noise canceling electronic ear pro. A long long time ago, I think they're Remington brand, and that was one of the kindest and most useful things someone's ever done for me. Because yeah, before that, as a kid, I'd put ear pro on. If you take a blind person's noise away, I'm kind of in a almost, a, oh, good grief. What do they call those things? Deprivation chamber type situation, uh-huh. you know? So being able to keep my hearing and also shooting safe was, it was a whole new world. It was, a, and that's actually about the time we start. I started shooting On the more regular because it became an actually enjoyable and and truly safe experience because before if someone said hold fire and i had ear protection on i may not have heard them but with the electronic Uh ear pro i can hear perfectly so if i hear something wrong with the gun i stop shooting if i hear a car driving up i can stop shooting i'm I'm, usually when i'm shooting i'm extremely paying attention to the Uh noises
0: around me So with electronic ear pro, I actually hear more than my normal ears here. I don't know if it's because I've messed them up so much, but.
1: No, uh, no, they they do good. I think part of it is because they're they're right there on you. And of course, you can always turn up the volume. But it it is, you know, digital sound versus analog has pros and cons. But I think for this purpose, it's better because everything is just a a little bit crisper, maybe mm -hmm. not quite as nuanced, but crisper. So you can really hear the crunching of leaves under your feet, or maybe brass hitting the ground more with them on than you would otherwise.
0: And again, yeah, I, you can, I remember, always, you can
1: always bump them up too.
0: Yeah, I remember the first time I tried uh, electronic ear protection, I heard the crunching of the grass, and I thought that was the coolest thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, when, I'll be honest. When I first got mine, sometimes I just put them on and walk around the house because, yeah, some like the refrigerator <laughs> and stuff sounded really cool. And what I've really been impressed by the sets I've always owned, at least, have held up exceedingly well, at least the mm-hmm. inside electronics. Now, you know, things like the ear cups and stuff that, you know, typical wear parts, but the electronics have always seemed
0: very well built to me. Hmm. So that's so interesting thing. So as you're shooting with the firearms, you feel the firearm working. Uh mm-hmm. huh. Uh, You can hear you're probably it's probably not that you can hear more of the firearm working, but rather you're paying more attention to what's going on. Bingo. With the sounds. Well,
1: it really, it really is when I'm actually shooting, because, you know, even with the electronic gear pro, the the shooting is pretty overwhelming, the noise part. But yeah, the feel of a gun, Uh, like if, if a bolt goes all the way home, you can feel it. If a bolt sticks halfway through the travel, once you're used to that gun, you know, hey, that didn't feel right
0: hmm.
1: You get used to a gun. It takes it. It takes time. It's not like I can just pick up a, a gun I bought a week ago and and really know what it's supposed to feel like. But when a when a gun I've had for a while malfunctions, I know it because it's just it does. It's not doing what it should do.
0: So of the firearms that you have featured on your channel, which ones sound or which one's the most enjoyable to shoot without the visual aspect? To you,
1: um, I mean, yeah, let me think. I, in, in no real order, uh, I gotta admit, the VZ sixty one Scorpion is just fun on a bun. Absolutely mm-hmm. not practical. Fun as hell. <laughs> I,
0: I would es- agree es- with you,
1: especially when you're not paying the ammo bill, because you can shoot oh, yeah. through hundreds of rounds of thirty two in that thing. Um, you know, I like the Walther P ninety nine. That gun. Every, the, the, the moment I first, cause I, again, I read about them online for a couple of years and then I called a a shop that was literally just down the road from my, my place at the time. And they happened to have one in stock. So I went down there on a Saturday, put my hand out in front of the counter. And when the guy behind the counter put that peanut in my, it just, if I didn't have to, you know, how, when you get first grab a gun, you got to kind of move your fingers around to find, Mm -hmm. find the grip. I didn't have to do it. It just melded to my hand. Mm -hmm. And I love that thing.
0: It's my carry, and you yeah. got me into them. You both, you and another guy called Caleb, got me into them. So I, I cannot, I cannot uh, disagree with that.
1: But thing to know about carry guns, especially handguns, are very personal. I know people that that, that it does not fit their hand at all, and that is mm-hmm. they they become very subjective. So that's why it's always good we have different options on the market because they fit different people. Um, kind of getting away from pistol caliber. Hmm. When it comes to rifles, probably my most recent favorites, that LMT, that piston LMT that I've had out a few times, I've noticed it's come out to the range four times this year. And that's a remarkably high number of times when we have as many guns to get through as we do.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, The ARX, the Beretta ARX has made a surprising number of visits to the range over the years. Mm. And people seem to like it. And of course you got to say like the Bren, the Bren either the original 805 or the Bren 2. People yeah. seem to really enjoy the those are guns I usually take for new new shooters because they're just such gentle forgiving guns to shoot. They mm-hmm. usually really make people happy.
0: Yeah. Those are those are pretty good choices. I mean all of those, all of those are pretty good choices. I mean it, 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 yeah. you're talking to me where you and I basically have very similar taste in firearms. Uh, both, both historically and employment-wise.
1: Yeah, and as far just just to throw an AK or two in there, I would say the real slash archer. That's always a, a mm-hmm. that's always mm-hmm. one. And um, just because we kind of recently did a video on it, and it's in my mind. I, I always sometimes forget just how nice the five four five arsenals are to shoot. The one oh five or one oh four, they're just perfectly gassed and they don't climb. Because thanks in part to that, and also the muzzle. I, I, have been a big people, you know, five, four, five people have discovered it, which is nice, but I bought my first one in 2002 as kind of mm-hmm. an end of semester gift to myself. And back then the only real import option was the SAR two. So I've been in the, in the game for those for 20 years. And I've always found it an intriguing little round.
0: It's uh, it's interesting. Cause when we talked to max, uh, Maxwell Panker, the uh, same mm-hmm. one that you were, you were talking to earlier, um, he <clears throat> he corrected me on the fact that the Soviets, when they first developed the 545, it was specifically for a better recoil pattern because automatic was the default yep. uh, employment of the Kalashnikov, not the semi-automatic like like the Americans. Well, and I, I think and that's so- a little
1: bit in evidence based on selector positions and also just doctrine. But if you, if you look at the original AK, going to the AKM, even though it's still 760 by 39, so many changes were made to try to improve it in automatic fire from the slant muzzle brake which i admit is not very useful in semi-auto but in automatic it's not bad for the size but also the the palm swells that was an idea to put on you know you could get a better grip on your front of your gun Mm -hmm. and then from there you look at the 74 they go to this massive muzzle brake which for that that era was pretty unconventional if you Yeah. I mean in a, but damn does it
0: work. It looked like a tank muzzle break, if it anything. Did. It,
1: it, it, that's a great analogy. I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. And to be fair, Russia has had some of the biggest tank guns and artillery guns in history, so who better to know? You look at they'd be I wouldn't be surprised if Russia did like a 10 baffle break. That some of those are ridiculous.
0: Well so them. the Russian so the russian brakes i mean you, you probably know this too but the russian brakes when they when they go through development one of the criteria for them is to also have a um, a certain amount of concussive force limitation and um, mm-hmm. overpressure limitation so um, it's it's not just it's not just, you know, coming up with the one break that would score you the highest score in an ipsic match. but rather, No. Yeah, they, yeah, they have that combat mindset. Who cares what your
1: recall is like when you're blasting all your other squad mates? I mean, right. yeah, yeah, you, you've got to consider, whereas here, for example, back to the Bren real quick, the original CZ muzzle break that came on the Bren 05 was a pretty darn effective break when you were shooting. If you were standing next to the person shooting, I think it made my ears bleed.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Uh, do do the FN Scars still do, still ship with the um the primary weapon system break? Uh
1: ask me next week. I just had a guy order one today that'll be in. I haven't had one in a, uh, in a few months, so I don't want to say yay or nay because my experience is slightly out of date. But
0: yeah. so that that was that was my my initial, you know, sort of slap in the face you. Say. <laughs> Literally with the FN scar was, you know, wow, this is really low recoiling. But Uh holy hell, this sucks shooting indoors.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because when uh, you know when Jay and I were out there shooting, we had a little metal structure Mm. and it would get really uncomfortable. In fact, I used to tell me how I'm going to step out. I, and I did that with very few guns, but yeah, the scar and the original brand with its break, those are guns like oh, I'm going to step out because it, it just the concussion bouncing around under that metal
0: roof was just brutal. So that that's probably something since you're since you have a mind and paying attention to uh, to the sounds and and the the your other senses outside of visual senses that probably hits you harder than it does to the rest of us because we're probably focused on some other thing and not even paying attention to it. Sometimes where you're just getting the full concussive force <laughs> on your face.
1: I'm not you just like you're not me, so I don't know, but I can say, yeah, you, you can put as much cotton in your ears. You can put as many ear pros on and block your ears off, but your rest of your body's still going to feel that concussion. Hey, uh, Henry, I'm going to walk over. Someone's been ringing my phone, so you can just yeah, cut sure, this sure. section out.
0: I want to hear about the your business, Ozark Bear Arms. So it's one thing being an enthusiast and, and a <laughs> firearms historian, but taking a leap to turn this into what makes your income, you know, the money maker. This, mm-hmm. this is your profession at this point that well, keeps you alive.
1: Um, obviously, in, in college, especially grad school, there wasn't like I could, I could go get a part-time job, tending bar, flipping burgers, you know, typical stuff. So what I ultimately ended up doing was helping a friend out at his gun shop, namely ordering surplus guns, which at that time were still everywhere, You know, picking good deals, dealing. I, in fact, I dealt with Century for him and other places that did more of that stuff, but also doing his computer work because one, he wasn't very computer savvy. Two, he was doing way more business than his little shop should have. He was one of those people that couldn't say no to anyone in town. So I worked with him part time But eventually, I was kind of buying and selling more guns than him. And he said, what are you doing here? Go get your license. I didn't at the time. But after I got married, after I got back to America in uh, 2009, I looked for work. And you would think, but it wasn't. And so after multiple failed job interviews, and it's really disheartening when they say, oh, you're overqualified for this job. I don't care. I want to eat. I will do a really good job regardless. Just me a patron. You no know, anyway so i told my wife I, after that i was like hey, if they won't hire me i'll hire myself so i asked my cousin a uh, different one not fox actually his other older brother who was already in ffl to help me he help me get my license paperwork filled out and the atf came and did an inspection and i just got my license from there so it was kind of just because i'm not going to sit at home and do nothing and because i can't sit at home and do nothing i i'm I'm not really eligible for disability. And even if I were, I don't think I'd be happy with that. I need to be mm-hmm. I need to be active. I mean, the whole time we've been doing this, I've been doing other things, um, including eating a granola bar, if you couldn't tell earlier, but I had to I guess I had, if we're doing this during kind of midday, although it's getting later now, but you no, know, mm-hmm. but I, I just kind of kind of slipped into it. And originally, it was part time because I was also teaching a little bit part time. At a local place, you know. Once I got back to the U.S., but teaching—it's a the the teaching part is great. The the dealing with students, the answering their questions, the administrative part, the honestly in-house politics part sucks. And I realized, you know what? This is—it's not worth the pay. And my wife, who was also a teacher, eventually kind of came to the same awful realization.
0: It's actually impressive for you to find your own groove in um, working in a field that honestly, nobody else has the same perspective on um, in being able to sell guns through history. But it's also really, really sad to hear about the teaching side because, you know, I think um, selfishly and as as a dad to young children, I would I would wish that we had teachers like you who could give us a good perspective on history. Uh, I-, I think
1: there are a lot of good teachers, but I think either they get hamstrung or they just get burnt out after years of being underappreciated or even outright abused. And I don't necessarily mm-hmm. mean my students. More by either uber demanding parents or just an administration that that doesn't care or a government that doesn't care if you're you know in government school.
0: So what happened when the ATF came to inspect? Like, I've got it. Like, did they did they give you trouble saying like, uh, dude, you you know you're blind? Like, did they did they give you crap about that? Nope.
1: They offered me a gunsmithing license.
0: Oh, I, 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 I'm sorry.
1: When she was there doing it, she's like, Oh, do you do you want to you know, I forget exact phrasing, but she's like, Do you want, you know, apply? Are you gonna apply for a gunsmith license? And I just looked at her and she goes, mm, why not? No, they they the ATF and wow. this supply probably get me a little bit of an online flack, even having had an inspection less than a year ago, they've always been very good to me. Uh-huh. I know. Wow. I, I know, but but the thing is, if you kind of put the internet hearsay aside and just talk to dealers. You kind of get a little different picture of the ATF. Now we're talking about the agents on the ground, the field agents that come around that know us as human beings. It's kinda like your local cop. You know, if you get a cop mm-hmm. that kind of does your neighborhood, you might get to know him. His wife, mm-hmm. his kids. I'm not talking about the ATF, you know, in West Virginia, up up, you know, the higher ups. But the field right. agents, at least the good ones, they get to know their clients because you help each other out. Like, they made a small snafu on some paperwork I filled out. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, we, we don't have to, you know, to, anyway, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. Everyone may. So but...
0: <laughs> I know sometimes, like, when it comes to, let's say, like, dealing with systems changes on platforms like Gunbroker. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you, in the past you've you've come through a heartache with <laughs> systems like that. Yeah. Uh, how do you overcome? I mean, do you? I mean, obviously, I, I presume you have a pretty good, a pretty mm-hmm. good consumer base. You know, like you, you, probably have a good amount of people who who, who the, try to call you up. You know, a, stuff. Lot, a lot of people don't like change for the sake of change, and I, that's fine.
1: I don't like change because I do most things by rote memorization. You know, like how many keystrokes it is. Da 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 da. When you change it up, I have to relearn everything. And sometimes there's little tricks I have to do to access websites, various websites, because these days, not every website is keyboard accessible hundred percent. A lot of them are, you know, are mo- even if they're just 90% keyboard accessible, how do you work around that 10% that is meant to be used with a touchscreen or mouse? I can't mm-hmm. use those. So it, I can almost always find a workaround, but it takes mm-hmm. time and it just seems an unnecessary and unneeded frustration
0: it's it's like it's like um well you i mean you grew up in the 80s and the nineties like i did it's like those video games you know back in the day you would memorize the the little cheat codes on them Mm -hmm. like left right left right up b (laughs) so so for you it's like you have to memorize a new cheat code every single time there's a systems change unfortunately
1: yeah, unfortunately, and and sometimes I will eventually discover things that I like about it. And sometimes I'm just I lament things that I it's just like. Why that that is not even after experiencing it for six months, I still say this is a negative change. I still don't like the GunBroker search display, even after it's been you know a couple of years of them changing it. I find the old one to be cleaner. It displayed more at one go, easier to navigate. The newer one is so clunky with all of the Banners and pop up—that's another thing too. If you guys think you hate banners and ads and stuff, I have to basically tab through every link on a website. Even if I go really quick, it's the more that crap is up, it just—it just really drives me batty. Now, if I know a website well enough, I'll use you know kind of the find feature in Google Chrome to skip to a keyword and 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 start from there. But uh, it, it can be pretty bleh. and some of those recapture yeah. things you know like to prove you're not a robot oh my mm-hmm. goodness those uh no. they've gotten a little yeah. bit better in recent years but for a couple of years there they were driving me crazy
0: i guess i guess you're right because if you're if you're if you're blind and you're trying to navigate a site and it wants to ask you which freaking square has a bicycle in it you're not going to be able to tell which damn square has a bicycle in it
1: And I know people say, well, yeah, there's the get an audio version instead button, click it and listen to it yourself. I even I can't make out half that gobbledygook. It is intentionally (laughs) distorted, usually way more than it needs to be. And it's just like, why am I doing this? This is dumb. I'll just be a robot. Uh,
0: Well, I mean, I've got to say, though, still, Misha, it is impressive. How much you've been able to not only make, you know, business-wise of your own life, but it's impressive because the the lack of vision is a single massive fear for people like me. And yet, not only have you been able to make it by, but you've really, you've thrived and you've brought all this knowledge to the gun community itself and the historical context the small design attributes, the ideas, but then mostly your thoughts and how you relate history to the development of small arms. And that's to me, that is something that you cannot fake in any type of channel. So I definitely appreciate it.
1: You know, I'm not doing this to be stunning and brave and all this stuff. I'm doing this because I have no choice. As as most people who are disabled or otherwise facing adversity, I mean, the only other option is just to roll over and give up. And for most people, that's not a real option. And so I'm I did, what I want. And it was a it was a process. And there there are days when I get despondent. There really are. But you just you got to work through that because at the end of the day, I just don't want anyone to defeat me. And I don't, I, I refuse to be anyone or anything's victim that, that to me, I'm not shaming people who are victimized. It's not, I mean, by definition, it's not your fault, but I won't let that be what defines my life because it's, it's the life I got. So I'm going to do what I can with it. I don't mm-hmm. know. The, uh, you know, I was, it's it, it just, yeah, it is what it is. It, it's not as easy as it might seem. And I'm definitely not always as optimistic as it seems. I definitely have my days and in, in, in moments when I get really like, it really gets tiring telling customers when all the time that I'm blind. Like that's, it's not their fault. It's not my fault. But after you have to repeat the same thing, it'd be like, if you had to tell people you're, you know, where you're from all the time, every day, every place, it just it gets old after a while it's because I just want to move past it and live my life but I understand too it's not their fault and sometimes they really need to know that info to accurately understand where I'm coming from because if they ask me about a gun I can tell them how the action feels how lockup is if they're asking me how the finish is maybe I can tell if they ask me like some numbers and stampings I got no clue um you know mm-hmm. I, I had to just be square with them now, online, sometimes people think that that sits off an alarm bell. They don't understand that um, it's not a red flag. It's not me not having the gun in hand. It's, just, it's the honest truth. And sometimes just getting people to accept that I'm not fibbing can be difficult. But people are coming around. And, and the YouTube channel does help a little bit with that because I can just say, here's a link to me, and if, they're, if they will click it, I think most people would agree. No one's going to be doing something for over a decade as a, you know as a as a joke or a troll. I did get mm-hmm. that for a while, where people kind of thought it was uh, not true, just kind of a kind of like FPS Russia back when he was doing his thing and pretending to be Russian, kind of an act. Mm-hmm. So it took a little while for people to realize, no, this this is uh, I am exactly who who I am on there, <laughs> cats and all. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, I think. Remember, I think, when um, people, remember when people thought Rob was putting on an accent, too?
0: I did not know that, but that's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, there are
1: people that actually thought Rob Ski was, was putting on an accent.
0: That's, that's a very good accent if he's trying to pull off an accent.
1: Not not on the same language like you're saying, but I know exactly what you mean, too, with me. When it comes to when people ask about accuracy or me feeling bad that I can't really give a full report on some aspects of guns about that stuff. I know what you mean. You have to just go, well, I've, I've done the best I can do. I have, mm-hmm. I have, I've given it my best ability. And I guess we all fall short somewhere. Yeah. We can't all know everything and we can't all be perfect in everything we do. But as long as we're having fun and, you know, doing our best, I think that's what really counts.
0: No, that's a, that's a, that's a point to it. Um, There's there's a lot of people who who wallow in self pity, but I I, I don't think you are at like, by any means, I mean, you've created something very unique for a lot of people to enjoy. And so I, I honestly, this, that's something that I really enjoy watching your stuff, because I know that now I, I enjoy your content more so now that I know it,
1: I would rather change where possible to help people accommodate people, than insist that people change to accommodate me now sometimes people do have to kind of help out people that's just what it is but unless it's necessary i i I want to do as much on my own as possible and that's kind of going back to me recording some videos myself i do like doing that because if i just feel like about talking about something i can just go plug in the camera and go now one thing i get a lot especially on the personal channel oddly is get a tripod I have like eight, but the problem is when you're blind, tripod legs, I think they literally move to trip you because of, because (laughs) of their shape. And let's say I've got, I get my tripod set up. Now, first of all, hopefully it's pointing exactly at the gun. If it's not, the whole video is going to be not at the gun. At least when I'm holding it by hand, I try to move it around. So even if it's not in the camera, some, it'll be in the camera other times, but let's say I get it pointed correctly. say i'm talking about this gun and i think oh i want to show the people that gun or this mag so i get up i go grab the other gun their mag i'm thinking about that gun or mag and what i'm going to say and then i run right into that tripod and knock my camera over
0: that's the thing that's someone who is not blind trying to give advice to a blind man right that's
1: And, and and i think i take it as being given in good faith not criticism but in good faith but they're not understanding the the entire aspect behind it, because there are things like that, that in a perfect world I'd like to use, but the, the risk outweighs the potential benefit. Actually what I have and I've used it for a while now is this little kind of, it's not a selfie stick. Exactly. It it can be a selfie, but it also folds out into like a mini tripod. And Mm -hmm. I found that to be kind of the best compromise, because I can set it on the table not on the ground so i'm not going to trip over it but it also lets me set the camera down and get a little more stability because mm-hmm. sometimes if i really want to be stable i'll kind of put the i'll tilt it and put the tripod against my chest you know so at least it's stable
0: mm-hmm.
1: but th- that's mm-hmm. been the best compromise i've found so far and the newer gopros have pretty great
0: image stabilization too mm. I have not uh, used a GoPro ever since they lost a boatload of money with my stocks that I invested in them. Also, See, because should I, have, I have should have put funds.
1: that money into Wassers.
0: I should have. I should yes. have. Honestly, that's that's one thing that I've <laughs> I've been realizing how it's strange because when when you grow up overseas, you don't think of, of firearms as something that you could actually invest in
1: and Um, i i say that kind of half jokingly i i wouldn't a a lot of stocks a lot of other types of actual business investment do pay better than firearms mm -hmm. but the nice thing about firearms you usually still can make money and you can enjoy them in the meanwhile and it's something tangible like right now the firearms market's pretty darn low i was Mm -hmm. talking with one of the major online retailers the owner yesterday i won't give names just in case but he was saying that yeah, the market's super down, and he's had to dump some product under cost just to move it and get that capital back to to buy new product. So, it's 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 a rough time. So this wouldn't be the time I would sell necessarily if I didn't have to. But if you can hold the hold on to it for six months, it'll change. It always does.
0: I mean, same principle as real estate applies. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, buy, buy low, sell high. I mean, but at the same time, I mean, sort of like real estate, if you buy a home that you really enjoy living in, mm-hmm. if you buy a summer home that that you enjoy and then you could you could, I don't know, rent it out for it to to pay the mortgage to pay itself. Um, but with firearms, what especially for people like us who are actually interested in these things, um, being able to hold the piece of the the equipment that brought about history of mankind, whether it be it's good or bad history, um, is an intellectually enthralling experience for me, at least anyways. I
1: completely agree. And that's A, why I still do videos like I put out a video on the Lee Medford a couple of weeks ago. It doesn't even have a thousand views yet. I have no regrets because I enjoyed doing it and I wanted to do it. I, I get to get more views, I you know, the modern, current guns. I just can't bring myself to find the enthusiasm to talk about a gun that I personally, I don't want to say I'm not cared about. I care about it pretty much any gun. If they're fun to shoot, that's great. But I'm not, yeah, invested in or have a unique, if I don't feel like I have something to say, I don't want to do a video. I don't want to just repeat something because I know there are other people that can do the kind of the standard PR pitch a lot better than me. But if I got some, again, going back to how the channel got started in the very first place, the only reason we did the 551A1 video, no one else did. So that that tends to be where I try to create videos, either when no one else has done it, or I just really want to talk about this gun. I'm not really into Mm -hmm. talking about the latest release from Palmetto State or Glock, even if I don't have anything against those brands, even if I will happily go shoot one of a friends, I just don't feel like I have much to add to the discussion. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that's also the same reason I don't collect sniper rifles. What the hell am I going to say about a sniper rifle? The glass (laughs) looks great to me.
0: That's a funny thing. I remember when you were shooting the M24 with the uh, the optic cover, the the scope covers closed. That was 100% intentional. People in the comment section just freak out because mm-hmm. here you are shooting a rifle with the scope covers closed. Actually, we were
1: about to start recording that video, and they were open. and And Jay says, "Hold up a second. He runs over and closes them. No, that was a complete. And see, I don't mind trolling the internet on with you know harmless fun like that. I, I I'm a bit of a prankster in real life, but only when it's just fun. I don't like the mean stuff, but things like that were just. And that might have been before we actually told anyone I was blind. Because for the first little bit of the channel, no one knew. And we kept saying, how long is it going to take people to notice? That was well, kind of I our remember, original pitch.
0: I remember some of the older ones. But I mean, I, I, I didn't go all the way back to the 551A1 era ones. But I remember some of the older ones. I did. I never saw anyone mention that you were blind until, I don't know, when when you guys started I don't know. You I me. Mean, I, it, it was it was a bit in. Um, yeah. It wasn't right away.
1: For one thing, it just didn't but, seem relevant, and for another, it was kind of fun to see how long it would take a
0: little cotton on, and some I, did right away. Misha, I disagree that you when you say it's not relevant. I think just by this conversation, hearing that you pay extra attention to you know how things tactily, uh, how it how how it feels in your hands and how it sounds when it's working and how it feels when you're cycling it i think you're able to you're able to pay attention to a lot more of a firearms uh detail than some of us who can see uh
1: counterpoint to that though you you understand it in real life everyone knows i'm blind it -hmm. was kind of just interesting to me and refreshing to engage with people who didn't know that fact, at least for a temporary point of view, it was interesting. Hmm. The anonymity of the internet can sometimes be nice because people are kind of approaching me just for me, not for any other potential preconceived notions, positive or negative.
0: Unfortunately, that is no longer there because now Uh, people in the firearms community at least those who are interested in firearms history and development know uh, part of your background especially when this publishes
1: yeah but not that guy on gunbroker last night
0: uh, unfortunately (laughs) you know some some people um there's always one
1: I'm you know but for every one person like that honest to God, I meet 20 or 30 great people. And I, one reason I'll end up spending way more time on the phone with a customer than my wife would like is we get into, con- and I like knowing people and I like mm-hmm. giving them a sense of who I am. Cause I think that really gives them a, a sense of ease about when I ship a gun or you know, that, that everything's going to go copacetic, that they're buying from a, a person, not some faceless entity or, you know, scammer. So I, I try mm-hmm. to establish a rapport with a customer just so they know I'm a human being. They can call me if they have an issue. I mean, I had a guy call me yesterday. He bought a SIG 553 R over a year ago from me, and he was having a firing pin issue. So now I gave him a mm. couple of ideas, but you know, I'm I'm happy to do that.
0: So Mish, I mean, I, I had I had a lot of fun just kind of, <laughs> you know, spitballing with you this entire time. I know you've got to go. Um, I mean, if we, if you, if I we, mean, had don't have more... to,
1: I'm my own boss. However, if <laughs> I don't work, they to the, the when you, when you're self-employed, there are pros and cons. You can take off work as much as you want. Right. You just won't get a paycheck.
0: You, well, you pay for it. Yeah.
1: I've got a friend who's recently self gone over to being self-employed and I'm getting the impression he's having to learn that lesson and that kind of balance point of, it's nice to kick off work,
0: but. Man, you got to work. Anything else for the audience out there that you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, pretty much uh, this 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 is me. This is who I am. But yeah, feel, feel free to uh, email me if anyone has any things. And uh, I, uh, signing up on Patreon. I I don't know where, you know, once my people say, oh, try this other service. It's a lot of to do and Patreon still seems to be the most professional reliable place to give out credit card numbers like that. So if they want to, <laughs> if they want to go over and pitch a buck or two, that always helps. And, uh, we've, uh, yeah. we've got new stuff coming. I, we're about to review that century Nova AK
0: mm-hmm. that, uh, got released. Well, I would say if you have genuine questions about, um, I would say honestly about, about life maybe, or about, um, uh, firearms, historical firearms, you can hit up Mish, but also uh, their Patreon over there. They do a lot of Q&A where they draw questions from the patrons. Yeah, and every couple that's of a months, usually. Way. Yeah, so that's a good way of hearing any questions that you have being brought over on their channel. And so uh, check them out, ozarkbeararms at gmail.com. YouTube handle Mishaco. That's M-I-S-H-A-C-O. Um, his personal channel, Misha. Misha m-i-s-h-a and without further ado i mean i'm hungry so I, I
1: i am as well it's about six o'clock now so uh there's a great burger place down the street that's got awesome cheese fries and homemade
0: burgers oh, man i wish i wish you were right right next door to me well it's good it's good chatting with you and for everybody deal, else we'll see you guys on the range